great Odin's raven. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello, welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode number 28. My name is Adam, and today I'm joined, as always, by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. Kevin's doing well. I'm doing well. Today we're also joined by my friend, Mr. Adam Daggett. How are you, Adam? I'm fine. How are you? I'm okay. I already said I'm good. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. <laughs> Adam's in town visiting from Orlando, and he went with us to see the campaign. So we're going to bring him on the show. Get his thoughts on the campaign. Uh, we're also going to be doing a little bit of news this week, including trailers for Red Dawn and Brandon Cronenberg's Antiviral. And as usual, we'll be highlighting some Amazon Blu-ray deals and giving our weekly movie predictions. Uh, but first, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I think this week I'll start things off because I have a pretty big list. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I do, I do. The the first movie I saw this week was a Lars von Trier film called The Idiots. Oh, have you seen this, Kevin? I have not seen this. This is a uh, one of the Dogma ninety five films. I can't remember which number, like four maybe. Mm. It's one of the earlier ones, I think. And basically, it's <laughs> about a group of people that pretend to be retarded idiots. In public, yes. Hmm. And they, their goal in life is to embrace their inner idiot because they feel like uh, people with mental disabilities are happy all the time and they want to be happy. So they just run around and <laughs> act like idiots. Wow. I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. I didn't like it. For some reason, I'm thinking this is one of those movies where he has actual sex on film. Yes. Yes. There is, act, there is penetration. There's a scene involving an orgy, and you get to see a whole lot of penetration happen. <laughs> yeah, if you see no. the entry. Yeah, you see wow. full-on sex. Now is... Real deal. But it's not... There's no Stellan Skarsgård, right? No. Okay, good. No. Good. Uh, yeah, it was, it's a hard movie to like because the people are so despicable. I mean, they're pretending to be retarded and they're doing it a lot of times they're doing it to get things like free food and get stuff. And it's, they're just terrible people and you don't care about them. Most of them are kind (laughs) of like spoiled little rich kids and it was shot because it was Dogma 95, as you might expect. It was really kind of had a low budget look to it. Yeah. You know, all the lighting was, they used natural lighting. And out of all the Dogma 95 films I've seen, which wasn't that many, this one looked pretty good. Yeah. I thought thought Breaking the Waves was pretty good. I didn't see that, so. That's a. I don't know. This apparently is the second part of the. Lon, Lars Van Trier's Golden Heart Trilogy. Yeah. Breaking the Waves is the first one, The Idiots, and then Dancer in the Dark. Yeah, I read that, but I didn't see... Yeah, I don't I didn't I, see the first one. Uh, it. The other thing that bothered me was that several times... Okay, first it was, it was sort of set like a mockumentary where they had interviews with 
the people, sort of like another movie we're going to be talking about, Bernie. Um, but there were many times throughout the film where, like, the boom mic was in the shot and stuff like that. And I feel like that that wasn't intentional. But well, that's, that's, uh, that is part of Dogma 95, where you can't. I think that's one of the rules. Like, you can't fix your goofs or your mistakes. You have to leave them in. I yeah, think that I think that's one of the mm. one of the bullet points on the Dogma ninety five manifesto. Well, either I way. could be wrong. It's not a recommendation for me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's disturbing. It's gross. It's, yeah, he hasn't done a Dogma ninety five in a long time, though. No, you're right. You're right. He hasn't. I think he lost interest in it. Well, he he was the one that created it, right? Yeah, but he. If you noticed, he's going like the extreme opposite. Yeah, yeah, super like stylized, lots of effects and slow motion and stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, his last two movies I thought were so much better. Yeah, I mean, the way he shoots film is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, the next movie I saw is called Blowout. This Blowout. Is, uh, I want to see Blowout. You haven't seen this? No, I, I haven't. But this I want is one to. of this is one of Brian De Palma's earlier films. It came out in 1981, and it stars John Travolta and Nancy Allen. Who I, I I guess Brian De Palma was married to Nancy Allen, which I didn't know. My dad told me that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is on Criterion, and this movie was fantastic. I loved every second of this movie. Uh, I started it late one night and I was just going to kind of fall asleep to it, but I was like, so into it. I was like, I got to turn this off. I can't risk falling asleep during this movie. (laughs) So I I picked it up the next day and it is so good. It's kind of a mystery, but the interesting thing is John Travolta is the main character and he plays a sound guy. He's, he plays, um, a sound mixer for a film studio and he's out capturing sounds for a movie and he witnesses a, a car accident where a car falls off a bridge. Nancy Allen is in the car, and he saves her life. Turns out there's a, a governor. The governor is in the car, and he's dead. And it turns into this whole big like conspiracy mystery. A lot of action, a lot of like chase scenes and stuff. And the way that it was shot, some of the, the camera shots and effects used were so good. Obviously, the sound was really good, too. But hmm. highly recommend this movie. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, I remember... I forget where I was watching it, but there was something they were talking about this movie. And, you know, it sounds amazing. But it sort of reminds me of, like, uh, Blow Up. Have you ever seen Blow Up? No. Which is odd, because it's called Blow Out. But and in Blow Up, he was a photographer, and he was taking pictures, and... He witnessed something in one of his pictures, and it sounds like this one is with the hearing aspect of it. Yeah, it is sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's they show the one of the cool things that I liked about it a lot is that I mean, he kind of turns into de- a detective. Like he's like, there's a lot of scenes where it shows him like cutting and splicing the sound and like m- putting together video with it and stuff. And they show a lot of how they used to edit. Uh, sound reels back in you know the early 80s and yeah it was just a phenomenal movie 
I would have given this a 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd, except Nancy Allen was so annoying in the movie. <laughs> I had to take off half a star. Because uh. she was ridiculous. She plays this, like, sort of like an escort, but she's just so annoying. Adam, you would know her from RoboCop. RoboCop. She was in RoboCop. She RoboCop and. She's in all the RoboCop. She was Murphy's partner in RoboCop. Okay. Anytime, man. Uh, and then I saw, I started watching a lot of Michelle Haneke's films. So I saw Benny's video, Hidden or Cachet, uh, and The Piano Teacher, and I also rewatched The White Ribbon. Now, this is something that we've been talking about doing for a while now. Yeah, we've been talking about visiting some of his films because our contributor, Todd, this is his favorite director. And Kevin and I are notorious haters of this guy's films. So, Funny Games is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I agree. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a shot because I didn't see much of his filmography at all. So I started going back and rewatching everything. I'm going to continue it this week. So I'm not going to talk about any of these movies. But real, real quick, like out of all the ones that you saw so far, what, what was your favorite? I think The Piano Teacher. Piano Teacher? Okay. I think that that was my favorite so far. Now, I rated The Piano Teacher and Hidden the same score, but uh, the end, I had a lot of problems with the end of Hidden. A lot of problems. I was really into the movie. It, um, it almost felt like Lost Highway. It had a Lost well, Highway. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, because I you know, looked it up and I was sort of reading the synopsis and everything. And I'm like, it sounds exactly like Lost Highway. It's, yeah, it's similar. It's, it's got the sim like the, the main, what happens in the film is not the same, but like how things get started, that's hmm. similar to Lost Highway. So we'll come back and talk about these in more detail in a, in a future episode after I see the rest of them and get you to see all of them and all that stuff. So yeah, cause this is a project that I haven't started yet. Yeah. I have a couple projects going and this is not one of them so far. I saw Bachelorette On Demand. This is currently available on Video On Demand. This is a sort of like a, um, well, it is a Bridesmaids ripoff. I mean, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. A uh, little, bit, little bit funnier than I thought it would be. But still, just kind of, it felt like they were going for a raunchier version. Exactly. And I just, I... Why? It seems like every like female comedy movie revolves around a wedding. Yeah. Well, why? why? Well, it's because of the success of Bridesmaids, I think. That's all women think about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could probably argue that. <laughs> uh, this stars Kirsten Dunst, Isla Fisher. Uh, James Marsden's in it, Lizzie Kaplan, Adam Scott, Rebel Wilson. And Rebel Wilson, you know, was in Bridesmaids. She was the roommate yeah. of, of uh, Kristen Wiig. And it was interesting because Lizzie Kaplan and Adam Scott are both in Party Down. So it kind of felt like a little Party Down reunion. Not as funny as Party Down. But there were a few moments in it that that I thought were funny. And 
they really didn't hold back. I mean, these girls are pretty awful. Like, they do a lot of drugs, and they do a lot of drinking. And I think that's, in the end, what hurt the film was that with Bridesmaids, you actually liked the characters. Yeah. And in in this, there weren't a lot of redeeming qualities with the characters. They were just kind of these out of control girls that like to party but eh, you know there's i don't know if it's worth i, I would probably wait till it comes down in price on demand yeah what, what did you have to pay for this uh, i think it was it was either 6.99 or 9.99 oh my god <laughs> well <laughs> i would not know. pay that <laughs> lord have mercy yeah so i would wait till that comes down in price uh, we, I think we're also going to have a review on the site for that. I think Todd's taking care of that one. <laughs> Take that, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, what you get for your Haneke love. And I finally, finally, finally saw Harold and Maude this week, too. I know, and I saw that you saw that, and it upset me. And I loved it. Yeah, I have a feeling that I'm going to love it, too. It can't was, wait to see it. It was so good. I mean, there's... <laughs> It's funny. I mean, it's a very, it's a dark comedy, I would say, but it has a lot of heart to it. And it's just hilarious to watch this dude kill himself over and over and over. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, it was a great, it was a great, it, it was interesting to see. I, I thought that a relationship between like a 20 year old dude and like an 80 year old woman would be weird. <laughs> and it was kind of weird, but. At the same time, it was just kind of charming. I I really enjoyed it. Hmm. I can see why it's considered a classic, and Cat Stevens does the whole soundtrack. So, oh, that's great, right, that's right. Yeah. He does do the whole soundtrack. Great soundtrack. It felt like it was one of those movies that was ahead of its time. Uh, it came out in 1971, but it really felt like it was a modern, like indie film. Very yeah, good. this this movie to me seems like it could come out now. And correct me if I'm wrong, people would be like, Wes Anderson? Oh, oh my God, yeah. I mean, that was actually going to be my next point, was that Wes Anderson clearly is drawing from this film. It is very Wes Anderson. So, highly recommend that one. If you haven't seen it, it, it is a classic. And it's a must. Yeah, I'm going to have to finally get around to watching that one. Yeah. Definitely. And get it on Criterion Blu-ray, too. Well, yeah. Did did you watch the Criterion version? I, I did, yeah. I didn't see any of the special features yet. But but did you see the... Um, the Menus? Yes, by yes. Jordan Crane. Yeah. Uh, he's my favorite artist. That guy's amazing. Awesome. And the cover's awesome. It's very solid. I would recommend buying that one. Uh, and finally, I saw Born Legacy. Which one is oh this is the new one. Yeah, the new one. Yeah. Okay. I saw there's, it. there's I too saw many it. there's too many words. Like identity, <laughs> ultimatum, supremacy. It's just too much. Uh I liked it. It was good, not great. It wasn't anything groundbreaking, but it was solid and I think that Jeremy Renner's a good replacement for Matt Damon and, and it's funny because I remember when the first Born Identity came out and everybody was like Matt Damon is an action person? Like, no way. No way. And then, like, 
now people are like, eh, I don't think so. Jeremy Renner can't replace Matt Damon. Come on. But it works. Uh, it's a little long. It's it, I think it's like 150-some minutes long. So it is... It says 135. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so 135, that feels like 150. Well, I, I, th- I could have sworn I saw on something that said it was like 150, but okay. Either did they, way... Did they leave it open for another one? Yep, that was going to be my next point, actually. They just... It kind of felt anticlimactic to me. They they really did leave it open. I mean, wide open. So so they left enough room for probably four there's, more. Oh, there's yeah. going to be like... Keep making these things. Yeah. Forever. Well, I don't know how many books there are, but I'm I'm pretty sure up to this point, they're all based off of the actual books. Yeah, which is who, Ludlum? What's yeah, his name? Robert Ludlum. Yeah, Robert Ludlum. What is he, like the James Patterson? Is he one of those types? I don't think so. I don't think he churns them out like that. Mm. Uh, I don't. I could be wrong, but yeah, it was it was solid. I, I liked it. There was some really cool action set pieces. Some really fun. Uh, There's a particularly cool car chase near the end. And one of the things that I bitched about with the trailer was the the motorcycle grinding. Yeah, and motorcycle grinding in the actual movie. It's a lot more understated, and it looks different. Like, I guess they used a different angle or maybe even a different take of that part because it looks completely different in the film. looks a lot better. (laughs) doesn't look so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It still happens, but it's not as crazy. Well, I'm looking at Robert Lotham on Amazon, and he looks like James Patterson. Okay. He's got the Born Imperative, so that's probably another movie that's coming out at some point. The Born Dominion, that'll probably be another movie. Ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know I, how you can. Them. How can you do that? I can't wow. even do a review in one day, let alone write however many books that those guys write. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they can churn them out. I mean, to me, it's just like another James Bond thing, you know? Like, yeah. I'll go see the new, I'll go see Skyfall. I'll enjoy it. It'll probably be fine, but. Ooh, in the sense of uh, the campaign, little, uh, gonna throw this out there. I've never seen a James Bond movie. What? Well, never. Like ever. Not one? Not even Pierce Brosnan? Nope. Not Golden. Why, why would I start with Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> it's the <laughs> worst. It's, well, because well, Kevin, that's, that's our generation. Yeah, that's our. Well, that's true. Bond. That's true. I I I under, that okay, now I understand. Before Goldeneye, I think that I only saw like maybe parts of them on TV. I've seen parts, yes, but I've never sat down and actually watched. I've never had an interest in James Bond whatsoever. They're pretty good. Never into it. I really like the new ones. I like him. But I have to say that when I saw the trailer for Skyfall, I was like, I think I might actually watch a James Bond movie. Yeah, you said that about The Bourne Legacy, too. Yeah. And I I don't, I don't know. I didn't get around to it yet. Eh. But I, I, I had other movies that I had to go see in the theater. Yeah. Uh, speaking of what you've been seeing, what have you been seeing? Um, I started off with The Sitter, so it was a bad start to the week. Bad start? Uh, David Gordon Green, what the hell is going on? 
This seems like he was doing a favor for somebody. This movie yeah. was awful. Um, yeah. Sam Rockwell was great in a very nuanced role. He was just a very odd drug dealer. Really the only bright spot. Uh, like we've always talked about, I hate when they try and add heart to a movie. Especially comedies. They try and just slip in that heart. Mm-hmm. And it's... Oh, they do it. This is the worst example ever. <laughs> with, the, with the whole... I mean, Jonah Hill finds out or pieces together that the one kid is gay. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, within like just a minute of advice fixes his entire life when Jonah Hill, his character is like a complete wreck himself, but yet he's doing out life lessons left and right. Just fixing everyone's lives. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I can't believe that that's what he's become. David Gordon Green, George Washington to the sitter. (laughs) Well, hopefully his next film will be better. Hopefully. But losing patience, which brings me to my next movie, is Bernie, which I lost patience. It's been well documented. Richard Linklater is a hack, and he's a <laughs> terrible director. <laughs> Calling him a hack is a little bit... He's a hack. I, you, I can't you know stand what? I remember you were all into School of Rock when that came out, though. I know, and I don't know why, and I feel terrible about it. <laughs> It's like it's one of those things from your past that you just you look back and you're like, oh, because mm-hmm. I, I, I own that movie for some reason. And we talked about it before with the, the growing pain segment with Waking Life. When that mm-hmm. first came out, I thought that thing was amazing. Blew my mind. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so philosophical. But whatever teen year old kid with my deep thoughts and then I look back and I'm like god you're an idiot <laughs> but Bernie I was at the end of the line with Richard Linklater pretty much how I am with Tim Burton I'm pretty much done with Tim Burton but Richard Linklater I was like I'm gonna give him one more shot with Bernie I can't stand Tim Burton. thank you well, you're and right. <laughs> yeah yeah I did and Bernie so many people were saying that it's so great and everything I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna check this out and I have to say the best performance Jack Black has ever done and probably ever will do. I agree. Yeah, I mean, he was amazing. And I just love the way that Linklater... And I have to say that I'm surprised that this hasn't been done before, where they mix the traditional narrative with, like, a documentary feel. I I see that as being something of a a trend. I, I can see that being an upcoming trend. Yeah. Because... You know, from what I, correct me if I'm wrong, if you read something different, but from what I understand, first of all, not all those people that were interviewed were like actual, some of Matthew McConaughey's mom was one of them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And they fed him lines, but they were real townspeople. Yeah. And that was something that when I first saw this, I was like, oh, I wonder what Kevin's going to think about this, because... uh, I feel like I've been hearing opinions uh, on both sides of this technique, and, and I I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was some of the funniest lines I thought came from those townspeople. Yeah, because to me, it was so well done 
that I couldn't tell who was an actor and who was a- an actual talent. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me to sit there and go, okay, who was actually really townsfolk and who was an actor? I thought, you know, he did a great job with that. This, in a sense, that I had to actually ask myself that question. But yeah, I thought that a lot of the funniest lines came from them, and it was really well done. The editing style, where they would be talking about, you know, something or you know, doing a reenactment. Because if you think about it, this is really like, uh, sort of like a glorified, like front line, or one of those, like twenty twenty um, things. Yeah, you know, where they do like the reenactment, but yeah. here the reenactment involves real actors. So, but you know, they would be talking about something, then they would automatically cut to one of the townsfolk saying a funny line, mm-hmm. and sort of retorting whatever they were talking about. Which I thought was really well done. So, uh, Richard Linklater, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll check out his next one. But it, I, it sounds like it's going to be the Before Sunset sequel. So I probably yeah. won't check that out. Yeah, I think it is going to be his next one. I liked those those two. So, and I also finally got to see Margaret, <laughs> yeah. the Kenneth Logeran movie. Uh it was shot in 2007, but didn't get released until 2011, which is pretty insane. And I have to say, this is the best movie where that's ever happened. You know, where they have the whole, uh, like, the legal battles, and they don't want to release the film, and there's fights between the director and the studio... Those movies that when they finally do come out, they're usually complete shite. Where you're like, well, I can see why they were fighting over this. But this is the first one that I was actually like, this is a pretty good movie. And why were they fighting over it? But apparently it was because the studio didn't want it to run over 150 minutes. Which is sort of odd. Yeah, they like to keep it two and a half hours max. Anything more than that, people get antsy. But... I'll tell you, even at the runtime that it was, I was still antsy. Yeah. I thought it was entirely too long. It was a bit long, and there was a lot of scenes that seemed like they didn't need to be there. Yep. That they could have been cut out, and the story would have been fine. It wouldn't have suffered at all. I mean, I, I get, like, the whole... You, you want to see this girl through this journey and see, like everything that happens to her and and how she evolves because of the witnessing this or possibly causing this accident and stuff but i felt like it was just entirely too much yeah and i i do have to say that i saw the theatrical release the which was edited by martin scorsese and thelma schoonmaker i didn't get to see the director's cut which is what i wanted to see thank you netflix for not giving me a choice in the matter. I also saw the theatrical cut. I, I know. And that's what bought... I wanted to see the director's cut. But I was pissed off about that. And I don't know if I can sit through it again to watch the director's cut. Way too long. But I... It was... I did like some of the things that they touched upon. is Especially um, how everyone sort of thought that Anna Paquin's character was like a drama queen. Mm-hmm. throughout this entire experience 
which I think says a lot about our society where a, a very traumatic thing can happen and we're just sort of like, get over it. Give me a break. Yeah. Grow up. You know, and she's like freaking out, which is essentially the reaction you should have witnessing someone get run over by a bus and dying and in your was, arms. It was so horrific. Too. Yeah. I mean, she lost her leg and everyone's just like, get over it. Hey, I have a play opening in a couple of weeks. You coming? I don't give a shit about <laughs> you trying to deal with someone dying in your arms. And Which plus, I, she she felt the guilt of responsibility. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she admitted to it and sort of owned up to it that she essentially caused this woman's death. And everyone's just like, move past it. Come on. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, Which, you know, when you have adults like that, that that's what you're sort of gaining your experiences from. I mean... Mm-hmm you're more than likely going to turn into someone that's not that great. It's also to note that this is pre-True Blood, Anna Paquin. Yes. This is before she even started doing True Blood. So it's like real old. Yeah. She looks like she's 15 in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, Matt Damon looks... Yeah. He looks extremely young in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this is before Mark Ruffalo sort of had his little blow up with, you know, Shutter Island and the kids are all right and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like a sort of time travel watching a movie that was supposed to come out in 2007, but you didn't get to see it until 2012, really. Yeah. It's very bizarre. What else you got? Uh, oh, I got to see Killer Joe. Killer your, Joe. In your face. Well, it's just <laughs> every week, every week it's one of us, one up in the other. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if this is coming out down here. I sincerely hope so. This marks the first time that I've ever seen an NC-17 movie in the theater. Yeah, I've never seen one. And so. it wasn't, and what makes it even better is it wasn't at like an independent movie house. This was at like a big cinema plex type deal very bizarre the fact that i had to like show my id before i walked into the theater (laughs) i don't really want to hear your thoughts on it just yet because i will be seeing this at some point uh the only question i have for you matthew mcconaughey should do you think uh this year's going to be his his year for oscar um i definitely have to say this guy's making a Big time comeback because it's really hard to imagine that he was in movies like Fool's Gold and Failure to Launch like four years ago. That's what he was doing. And this is definitely his best performance. He plays this really cold, calculating, just in control of everything. It's He's extremely disturbing. It sort of feels like... uh, I mean, it's based on a Tracy Letts play, who him him and uh, William Friedkin also did Bug. Which I the, hated, by yeah. the way. But this feels a lot like uh, The Killer Inside Me. Which I didn't like. It's, it's better. It's better than that. But it feels like those, the pulp novels. Yeah, I know what you're, you're saying. Um, but it was also... 
great supporting cast. I mean, perfectly casted. Everyone was great. And there's not really anything bad to say about this movie. And the the drumstick scene, the fried chicken drumstick, where Gina Jashan uh, performs fellatio on a drumstick. Very disturbing. Sounds right up your alley, Adam. Extremely disturbing. But definitely check it out. I want to. Hi- highly recommend that one. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, no. The only other thing I have going on is another project that I started, which is I have too many going right now. But I'm going through the history of cinema from the beginning the whole way to the end. So I'm sort of following the films of in a chronological timeline. Hmm. I saw that you watched Arrival of a Train at Love Whatever. Yeah. The I Lumiere Brothers. One. No, I I mean, the Lumiere Brothers invented the camera. And they're very, an integral part to the history of cinema. But to me, they're just product testers. They invented this and they were like, hey, let's go see if it works. Let's take a shot of a train coming into a station. All right, it works. They're not film directors. Right. They were just testing out their invention. That's and this it. was this was before the the um, before they were able to cut or before cutting of film, right? Like, what was that? The, there was that one movie uh, that first introduced cuts in film. It was like a fire. It was like a fi- a movie about a f- uh, fire, and like they would cut from like the fire to the people at the fire station. Mm, it was probably. Um, Oh, what is it called? Like the Diary of a Fireman or... And I can't remember. Day in the Life of a Firefighter or something that. was like, like that. the first movie to introduce cutting to tell yeah. like a narrative. Yeah. The, I mean, these movies that the Lumiere brothers did, they're not, they're not really movies. They're, I mean, they're essentially... You can't call them directors because it's the same thing as your mom or your father fucking directing you while you're opening your Christmas presents on Christmas Day. It's the same thing. They're not film directors. They're just testing out their invention. That's it. But I did watch a couple of Malay's movies, which were unbelievable for the time, which were only a couple years later. Uh, And that'd be like a trip to the moon, right? Yeah, which was amazing. That guy had so much creativity. Uh, You know, I don't think I ever saw the original... Like Which, version of that. By the way, you can watch almost all of Malaise's uh, films on YouTube for free. Oh, cool. So check that out. Yeah, definitely have to do that. Uh, well, before we get into our talk of the campaign, uh, just a couple quick news bits. A couple trailers came out. Red Dawn, the remake. And this is one that like Margaret, got shelved for quite a while. This is starring Chris Hemsworth before he did Thor, and it's with Josh Hutcherson before he did Hunger Games. And it looks pretty terrible. It's gonna say, this is exactly what I was talking about, where these movies get shelved, and then when they usually come out, you realize why they were shelved. And like I said, Margaret was the first one that was actually like, why, why'd they shelve this? But Red Dawn definitely looks like one of those movies where you're like, yeah, I can see why they shelved it. 
well, uh, Red Dawn got shelved because it was an MGM film, and when they were in post production, was when MGM went bankrupt. So this was one of those films that got put on the shelf because they couldn't afford to release it. And now it's finally coming out. Cabin in the Woods was the same thing, where they ran out of money and they couldn't finish it. So it just got placed on the shelf. But unlike Cabin in the Woods, this does not look good. Mm -mm. It It looks pretty much the same as the original, which was also not very good. And it also looks a lot like um oh it was an australian film called like uh what was it called a better tomorrow or something like that or nah, i can't remember but it was basically just red dawn north korea invades the united states whatever yeah and you wonder why you went out of business or yeah. you went bankrupt because you're making fucking you're rebooting movies that no one gives a shit about. Uh, but Red Dawn was the first PG-13 rated movie, so... Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's sitting around going, God damn, I really wish they would come out and reboot like Red Dawn. I think I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, and if I had, I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> no, I never said it, but I think that that's kind of a cult, a cult movie. I think it has a bit of a cult following to it. I don't know. Which, I mean, well, and in that regard, cult movies are movies that you shouldn't touch. Exactly. They're, they're cult yeah. movies. You can't, you can't recreate it. No. There's a reason that a cult movie is a cult movie. You don't go out to make a cult movie. It just happens. So, uh, Another interesting trailer that came out was Brandon Cronenberg's Antiviral. And this is the son of David Cronenberg, which is, he's a pretty awesome director. And I think that this film looks like it's going to be way out there and very disturbing. Yes. It looks extremely creepy. Um, a very stylized, uh, very stylized trailer. I must say. What'd you think of this one? Um, it looks like it's going to be extremely graphic, but, um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Looks really good. Yeah. There we go. Is it NC 17? I looks don't, like I, it, I don't know. It just looks extremely graphic. Like I don't, I don't think a lot of people go out to see it for that reason. Well, if it's graphic in the sense of violence, it won't be NC seventeen. Yeah, I don't, yeah, no, I don't. Think but if there's the sense of like, like there's a little bit of sex in there, it might be NC seventeen because American public can't handle sex. We cannot handle sex. We don't no. want it in our movies. No, no, I can't. Good lord, that and cigarette smoking? Give me a break. <laughs> Our kids can see heads being chopped off, but yeah, we do easily. not want to see intercourse. No. None of that intercourse or cigarette smoking. None of that. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, a uh, little Not the Bees. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, my eyes! eyes! Ah! <laughs> so... This is this is our not the bees where we kind of just highlight one of the worst movie bits of the week. Sony greenlights the Alf movie. The so Alf I guess movie. With the success of Ted, we're gonna have an Alf movie. And I think, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of Alf. 
when, nah. I, was, when I was little. Yeah. I, I was never that into it. I wasn't either. It was kind of boring. I just... I didn't think it was funny. No. And I always remember Alf being kind of a dick. Yeah, he was a huge dick. And I think that this is a terrible idea. <laughs> but I guess the only thing that makes it somewhat cool is that they got the original voice of Alf to do the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I imagine that he's not really doing anything. <laughs> that keeps him from, you know, sort of... Like, I'm sure he needs money. So uh, I'm sure probably. he's not going to turn that down. But isn't this going to be... Because I thought that I saw that it was Sony Animation. So it's going to be an animated film? It's a hybrid. It's a CG live-action hybrid. And it's being produced by the same guy that did the Smurfs movie. So they couldn't even just get the Alf puppet back? No, dude. They couldn't They couldn't go that... They couldn't we are that. beyond puppets oh, at my this God. point. Yeah, that should be great. We are beyond puppets. We need CG. CG. Let's just add to the massive amount that this movie's going to cost by going CG instead of just getting a puppet and then losing a shit ton of money when no one goes to see it. Uh, Yeah, I think it's going to be a train wreck. It's just going to be a PG-13 Ted. That's what people seem to think, that it's going to yeah. be... It's going to sit somewhere in the middle between Smurfs or the Chipmunks. Yeah. And, and Ted. Is no one... People not sh- is there no one at these uh, studios that show up at the meetings and go, hey, wait, that's a bad idea? Do yeah. they not have anyone that does that? Well, Battleship came out. Exactly. Why does this shit happen? And then they wonder why they go bankrupt. <laughs> oh, because the studios hate us and they want to destroy our childhoods. Exactly. Let's talk about some Amazon deals. Uh, to get these incredible deals, just go to our site at filmpulse.net and either click on the Amazon banner, shop as you would normally, or click on the store link and check out some of our favorites and what we've been talking about on the show. First up, um, actually, we don't have a whole lot to mention this week. Not a whole mm. lot. Of, a lot of stuff that we mentioned on previous episodes. Singing in the Rain is still eleven ninety-nine. I don't know if you picked that one up yet. Ooh, I got like five copies. There you go. Terminator 2 Judgment Day Skynet Edition Blu-ray for $5.19. (laughs) $5.19? I I don't know. They they have to be gearing up for a new edition or something. Some kind of special edition. Maybe they're doing like a new transfer or something. Uh, Then we have another one that I am sure that you will love. The Sound of Music. (laughs) Oh, Yes. Three disc, forty fifth anniversary, Blu ray DVD combo in blue uh, packaging. Uh it's not four disc? No, it's only the three uh, disc. I was I'm a, I'm gonna hold out for the four disc. This is seventeen ninety six. Oh so, man, that's right up my alley. Yeah, so p- pick those up. Pick them up. Let's talk about the campaign. This is the new Will Ferrell Zach Galifianakis film, directed by Kevin's favorite all-time director, Jay Roach. Jay Roach. Yeah. Mediocrity. I think that uh, we're going to start with Adam since you've been kind of quiet. The new Uh, guy. The new guy. What did you think of the campaign, Adam? I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, Got off to kind of a slow start. And uh, it didn't really have like a lot of, I guess, punchlines. 
But I thought the situations were pretty funny. And uh, I like the way they exaggerated how politics work. Because I think it was almost right on. Like, I think, you know, a lot of that stuff actually goes on. Not not quite as comedic and exaggerated, but that was pretty good. I thought, you know, a good turnout. Yeah, I... I'd- I think that I didn't like it as much as you did. I did. I, la- I definitely laughed more than you did. Yeah. I noticed that. I was laughing when other people weren't laughing. <laughs> you were. <laughs> there were several times when... I just the, found some the, certain things hilarious. The theater was did. completely silent. He's laughing. <laughs> what, do we know what any of those parts were? Uh, I don't. I think, well, definitely the part where... I don't know about the, that those particular parts, but the part where the... His kids are confessing things that they did. I just like had me laughing really hard. <laughs> I did enjoy that scene, especially the way uh, Zach Galifianakis was reacting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he said that he's like, I'm, yeah, he's like, I promised I wouldn't get mad. Uh, but I, I do uh, like the point that you brought up about how essentially these characters are parodies of real politicians just taken to an extreme like everything everything that they do i noticed is it's sort of like how politicians really are how they're just so over the top i mean it's it's like at this point politicians are are just cartoons yeah (laughs) they're they're jokes (laughs) it's just so ridiculous but uh, unfortunately, I didn't find a lot of funny moments. I'll tell you my two, um, my probably my one favorite moment, just a little thing, as always, the the first debate when they get up and Will Ferrell has the real small podium and Zach Galifianakis <laughs> yeah. has the huge podium and you can only see the top of his head. I don't know why, but I just, I thought that that was one of the funniest sight gags in the film. <laughs> I thought that uh, what, what's the name of the the guy that was helping him? Um, um, Dylan, um, Dylan Dylan McDermott. McDermott. Yeah, I thought his character was pretty funny. That and was the other last I, movie I saw him in was The Cowboy Way. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. He was in there. Oh, The Cowboy Way. Uh, I liked him a lot. He was in um, American Horror Story. I like him a lot in that. But I thought that Dylan McDermott's character was one of the best parts of this movie. It sort says Rata Cheerios. I almost lost it. Yes. When did Watley become a member of this family? And they just sort of, they cut to him just sitting there eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that he was funny. He reminded me of the character, what was it? Um, there was a movie we saw recently. Oh, uh, in The Watch. He reminded me of the Billy Crudup character, where he was mm. just kind of this side character that, that kind of, in my opinion, kind of stole the show. Yeah, he was good. I did enjoy him. Um, I did not like this movie that much. I felt that there was a lot of wasted talent here, um, which usually happens with Will Ferrell in movies where he's not part of the actual process of writing right it um, wasn't an adam mckay film so no because if you think about it every movie that he's in with you know like adam mckay or he has a strong presence in the part you know of writing or directing the movie it's really funny but then when you look at things where he's not a part of it like uh land of the lost uh bewitched 
<laughs> Those movies are terrible. And not I'm not saying that the campaign was terrible, but I just had uh, higher expectations. I don't know why, because it is a Jay Roach movie, for Christ's sake. And he is sort of mediocrity. Mediocrity personified? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Because he ruined the dinner game by doing the dinner for schmucks, which was terrible. Little fuckers. Yeah. Yeah, he's... He- <laughs> He did. Uh, let's let's. Oh man, this guy's. Let's go over his fil- filmography real quick. He did Game Change, which was the HBO Sarah Palin movie, which so I didn't see it, but apparently that was pretty good. He did Dinner for Schmucks, as we said. He did another HBO thing, Recount, which was the Kevin Spacey one, uh, and he did Meet the Fockers, Austin Powers one, two, and three. I did meet the parents. He didn't do Little Fockers, which was the newest one that was apparently really, really bad. He did produce it, though. He did produce it, but again, with producing, you don't really know. No. I mean, in that sense, probably just because it was a meet the parents, they probably added him on as a producer. Which I, was, I had to say, I was surprised in the opening credits that Zach Galifianakis produced this movie. Mm-hmm. Co-produced it, which I think is only like the second movie he's ever produced. That and apparently he was a producer for uh, Craigslist Joe, that documentary. Yes, he. Uh, I think he financed that movie. Yeah. Um, and especially given Zach Galifianakis' background, where his uncle was actually in, I think, the Senate or Congress... And he lost to, I think it was Jerry Falwell. And that that was in, in was that in North Carolina too? Yeah, yeah, it was. And Falwell essentially ran on the basis that he's not one of us because he has a crazy last name, and that's how he won. You know, sort of making the voter into xenophobes. So I thought that Zach Alfanakis had like a nice background here where they could really. Uh, satirize the political process, but I feel as though they sort of missed out on some of the things, but some of the things they did do perfectly, essentially, um, rainbow land, which was one of my favorite. (laughs) That was my favorite scene where they're just losing their shit over rainbow land and all the voters just go crazy about it. And just Will Ferrell trying to like, I wrote that when I was eight years old, (laughs) It's a fictional place. You don't have to live there. <laughs> I don't want to live in Rainbow Land. Yeah, and you can't make me. And uh, another little thing was with the pugs, how Zach Galifianakis' yeah. character had pugs, and how the guy comes up to him when he's in his car crying, and he's like, get some American dogs, you commie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the scene with, with the pugs looking out yeah. the window, all sad. Which is, yeah, it's hilarious because people, there are people that get like that. With yeah. like, your patriotism is <laughs> what kind of dogs you have. Yeah, and in this day and age, I would not be surprised if that's... Oh, no. Yeah. If Obama ended up getting, you know... A, a, oh, they would. They would. They would, just, they would put they out would ads like shit. that. Jason but, Sudeikis is in this. Yes, uh, which what? brings me to my other, my favorite line of the entire movie which was a very small line which was at the end when jason sudeikis comes up and he's like i want to work 
together and everything like that. And Will Ferrell goes, you look really good. What did you do? And he's like, oh, I started drinking again. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought he was funny in it, but essentially he's just the same character as he is in Eastbound and Down and pretty much everything else he's in. I never find him that funny. I like Jason Sudeikis, but I, I think that he needs to find... Uh, like his muse or something. He like, needs to. Well, he had a big part in Horrible Bosses. And I didn't find him funny in Horrible Bosses either. I think he plays a really good, uh, nuanced straight man. Mm hmm. Yeah. He's just, Where he's just like the voice of reason. Yeah, I, I think that he. It's sort of like Bradley Cooper in The Hangover, where it works better if he's playing off of someone else. Yeah. Because I thought the best part in Horrible Bosses, again, is where he's playing the straight guy and he's just sort of explaining why Jamie F- Fox would... What is that? Where it's like Herbie the, Herbie the Love Bug, that little scene, that oh, exchange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just how he has to explain to him. Uh, what'd you think of John Lithgow and Dan Aykroyd? Huh? It's been a while since I've seen them. Yeah, I was surprised to see them playing the Mach Brothers. Which and I guess is a little dig at the Koch brothers because I saw that the Koch brothers actually had to come out and issue a statement regarding this film. Oh God! Yeah, they took this film seriously apparently, for some reason or another. Of course they did. Yeah, because they're terrible people. Um, you know, I thought it was nice to to see them. Actually, John Lithgow was in. Uh, the other movie I saw this week, Blowout. So it was kind of weird to to see him then and now. But I don't think that they had a lot to work with. No. <clears throat> yeah, just a lot of wasted talent. And it's essentially Zach Galifianakis playing his Seth Galifianakis. Yeah. If his, you've ever seen that. Yeah. His uh, twin. Yeah. Was it, was it his twin brother or cousin? Twin brother. Twin brother. That was on the um, lot. Was at the live at the Purple Onion. Yeah, special that he did. Yeah. yeah, that was funny. I didn't think it was as funny this time around. I mean, he does he does some funny stuff, but uh, the fanny pack. That's where I put my things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of little lines that that I thought were funny. Uh, I didn't think it was a laugh riot. Now, no. you, would you? I would assume that you like the watch better. Yeah, this is definitely the weakest of the comedies that I've seen this year. Okay. Which I go on the basis of how much did I laugh, and I only laughed here and there. And, and Adam, you haven't seen the watch yet, right? Nope. Okay. Um. Well, let's give it. Let's give it a score, Adam. Let's say out of five. What, what would you? How would you rate the campaign out of five? I would give it a three, maybe three and a half. Three, three and a half. Pretty strong. Kevin, now I saw you gave it a two on Letterboxd. Is that... Yeah, I give it a two. Uh, I'm also going to go two. Two? Okay. So, I feel like maybe if you watch it again, it could be funnier. Because some movies are like that. Like, I'll probably rewatch it. Like, for me, like, I first time I saw Anchorman, I didn't laugh as much, but more I watched it, the funnier it got. I, I will agree with you that when I, when I first saw Anchorman, I didn't think it was that funny, but on a, re, on a rewatch... I was like, this is genius. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I just actually did that. I rewatched uh, Due Date mm-hmm. with Zach Galifianakis and uh, Robert Downey Jr. And 
That movie is hilarious. Now, see, I didn't like that. I only saw it once in the I just, theater. I, I didn't like it. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to rewatch that too. Yeah, I mean, once the come the campaign comes out on DVD, I'll, I'm planning on rewatching it. So maybe I'll. And I'm sure there's all kinds of because the the movie felt really like there's a lot of ad lib stuff, and you could tell even in the trailer there was a lot of differences in the trailer from the actual movie in certain scenes. Like, especially oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys noticed this the scene when Will Ferrell gets shot in the trailer. Yeah. In the it's trailer, he has a crossbow, and in the movie, he has a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that part was hilarious. It was hilarious. He just gets I, out of the car and shoots him. And it gets back yeah. in. <laughs> and I love how he pauses before he fully sits down in the SUV, just sort of like peering out over top of the car door. <laughs> you know what? I'm changing my score to two and a half, just because, of it, because it was fun. The, the main thing that, really, that I really hated, a joke that really fell flat for me, is... When they redid Will Ferrell punching instead of the baby, it was Uggy, the dog from the artist. And the whole time I'm just sitting there like, why is Uggy, the dog from the artist, (laughs) at a freaking... Uh, Because it's ridiculous. At a debate. It's just a dog from like a movie. (laughs) But to me, that just seemed like they were like, oh, Uggy's sort of trending, if I can use that word. So let's use Uggy the dog. I'll tell you, you it's can just use ridiculous. the word. You can use the word this time, but I don't ever want to hear you say well, trend. I, I, well, I couldn't think of the word that I wanted to use. Uh, no, but you're right. Popular. Popular. You can cut popular in there. <laughs> no, cut we'll out the it. trending. I want, no, I want cut out the trending. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. I want people to hear you say oh, trending. My <laughs> Fuck. My life is... No. Uh, I'm going to be depressed for the rest of the day because I use the word trending. Uh, so there you have it. I would say if you're a huge fan of Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, maybe check it out. I would definitely go see it at a matinee, and I would probably recommend a rental for it. Adam, yeah, I, I assume would, that yeah. you, you would say see it in theater? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's good. There you go. And Kevin, that's like a rental from you, too. It's a rental. I would check it out in a the theater, too, though, because just like I've stated before, I'm... I crave comedy so much, and we don't really get that many good uh, comedic films. So I'd definitely go out and check it in theater, though. Cool. Uh, let's go over our predictions. Let's recap. You had a good week again. You're damn right. It's comeback. You had two good weeks here. Um, Born Legacy, you said 76. I said 77. Actual 53. So it looks like people didn't, critics didn't like that too much. Huh? Uh, we have the campaign. You said 38. I said 30. Actual 67. Wow, I was surprised that they actually liked that. Well, if you remember correctly, when we predicted this last week, we both said, oh, I think that I won't like it as much as The Watch, but I think that critics... Oh, that's true. We both said that, and it it turned out to be true, but I didn't think that they would like it that much to give it a 67. I don't know. I guess maybe I didn't pick up the the subtleties of the film. Oh, yeah. I think I did. Adam picked up on yeah, the political subtleties. Exactly. The undertones. That's why I was laughing when everyone else wasn't. <laughs> the, the subtext. This. You were all over that subtext. The deep subtext of I the was. campaign. Uh, uh, Red, Hook, Red Hook Summer, 
uh, was the other one we predicted. You said 68. I said 72. Actual 67. So you were almost right mm. on the money there. That's good to hear. Yeah. This week for August 17th, <clears throat> we have The Expendables 2. Ooh. Oh. Um, I'm going to say I think this is going to be a fucking train wreck. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, 30. Mm. I think it's going to be worse, but uh, I'll say 30. I'm going to say that I want it to be a 0%. <laughs> but I think it's going to be, like, a uh, like a 24. Okay. Adam, what do you think? Well, <laughs> do you want my personal... Rating of what I hope it's going to be, or well, yeah, I let's let, let's hear what you want it to be, and let's hear what. Well, as you know, I'm a huge fan of these types of movies, so I put in the uh, just based on the uh, you know the the actors that are in it, the, the cast. I'd, I'd give it a good 92, uh, <laughs> but I think it's probably going to get like 28. There you go. There you go. I want it to be good too. I mean, I'm going to be seeing. Oh, it's it. going to be good. We're going to enjoy it. I think that I'll enjoy it. Critics won't enjoy it. No. They're not allowed to enjoy these movies. But it's not it's not a movie made for critics, it's you know. Not about it's just that. No, it's just no, dumb no. fun. Yeah, you know, I I really liked the first one. I thought it was just, it was like mindless entertainment. I mean, I love being able to see Dolph Lundgren blow people's heads off. And Jason Statham in in these Expendables movies is a bigger badass, I think, than in pretty much any other movie I've seen him in. With his throwing yeah, knives. knives, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we have Paranorman. This is the stop-motion animated film by the creators of Coraline, which I liked tremendously. I loved Coraline. I think that this one's going to be decent, but I don't, I don't see it being anywhere close to Coraline. What do you think on this one, Kevin? Mm-hmm. I think you're correct in that assumption. I think, uh, and I as well, thoroughly enjoyed Coraline. But I think that Paranorman's going to be more like a, I'm going to say like a 72. Okay. I'm going to say a a 68 on that. Okay. Any thoughts on Paranorman, Adam? Well, these these movies always seem to do pretty well, so I'd give it an 85. Okay. I I saw they have a, a little making of time-lapse video online i recommend checking that out it's really cool because everything in the film's handmade Um, yeah but this is also the first movie to use a 3d printer to print out some of the models and they show how like they show the 3d printer and then they show them like that is one one thing for like the last couple of weeks that I can't wrap my head around 3D printers. I can't I can't understand it. It's so cool. <laughs> I don't get it. it blows uh, my mind. You should definitely check out that video on on Paranorman because I don't know if I'll be able to recover if I watch it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, 3D printers are awesome. Uh okay, and we have Cosmopolis, the Cronenberg film. Mm. I I think I think critics are going to be divided over this one. I think that some people yeah. are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. I've read a lot about this because it did premiere at several of the festivals. It's been making the, the festival run. So I think that this is going to probably have somewhere around a 53. Mm. 
I'm going to go like a 60, I guess 64. Have you heard of Cosmopolis? Uh, it's the No, I haven't, but I'm going to give it a 52. There you go. Nice. Um, and then we have Compliance. This is a film that I'm <laughs> very excited about. This kind of took Sundance by storm. A lot of people were talking about this one. Compliance. Uh, what, do you, what do you think for Compliance? Compliance, I'm going to say like an 80. So I have a feeling this is going to be a really good movie. I want it to be. So I'm going to say like an 84. I'm going to say 82 on on compliance. I think it's also going to be really good. I've been hearing a lot of good things. It looks extremely disturbing. Yeah. At the same time, like judging from the trailer, it, it almost looks like it has comedic elements to it. Well, it is a sort of, it's somewhat comedic. I mean, if you think about well, it, well, not for the, no, not for the people involved, <laughs> the people. but in the sense that it's so ridiculous. People just follow orders like that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Adam, I don't know if you remember when this happened. This is the true story. Like, a few years ago, there was... It was all over the news. This guy was calling into, like, fast food restaurants, claiming that he was... Was it, like, the police or the FBI? And was instructing managers to take employees into the the office and strip search them? Did you hear about this? No. Yeah, well, it really happened... Like, just some weird dude would call in and make them do this, and they made a movie about it. Yeah, and the people never question it. They're just like, oh, yeah, you're a cop. Okay. Yeah. They just I'm going strip, to strip search this uh, teenager. Yeah. It's just terrible. And I don't think that the, the film is, like, 100% like true story. I think it's just based off of... Yeah. I think that the char- like the characters are fictional and stuff like that. But Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty good. Uh, then we have Side by Side. This is the documentary, uh, the film documentary with Keanu Reeves. And there's a ton of directors. I need to compliment him from forgetting everyone. Every big director. Almost, I mean, yeah. I'm really excited to see this because the whole, uh, basically, it's a documentary about digital versus film and kind of the future of the filmmaking and the techniques yeah, used it, to capture, you know. And I would imagine, does he sort of, I think he goes into a little bit of detail of how digital's sort of hurting some people. Yeah, I think that... The whole digital transfer, because I actually have, uh, in Harrisburg, there's a small movie house called Midtown Cinema, and they're essentially going to go out of business because the whole, you know, the where they have to convert everything right so, so they're having like this summer they have to sell so much so many tickets and make enough money that they can afford to do the converting and if they don't get it they're going out of business yeah so that's the big thing i, I remember when i i if i remember correctly though the whole digital projection didn't really take off until i moved down here because i remember when the amc down here it originally only had like two theaters that had digital projection. Yeah. And then it started growing. And now I think at the AMC, there's only like two theaters that have 35 millimeter projection. So it's, I think it's an interesting argument and I'm really, really interested to see how some of these prolific filmmakers, uh, what they feel about it. 
and, and because there's a lot of there's so many gray areas because there's digital projection, but you can convert uh, a film that was filmed in 35 millimeter to digital and vice versa. Yeah. So not only is it exhibition of the film, like how the medium with which it's exhibited, but it's also how they capture it. So like, you know, did, should directors be using strictly digital cameras or should they be, using 35 millimeter reels and then converting it to digital. So it's, it's a big topic in, in film right now. Yeah. I think that this is going to be critics are going to love it because it's about movies. So I'm going to say like 90%. I'm going to say like a 94. Yeah. I think it's going to be extremely high. What do you think about this one? Adam? I've never even heard of it. I'll show you the trailer. Looks okay. It looks like it's going to be really good. Yeah, uh, ninety-three. There you go. And then finally, we have chicken with plums. Uh, I'm just going to predict that I don't really know anything about this. I know this is more up your alley, but it does look very interesting. Yes. I don't know if we'll be able to have an accurate um, score for this one because I think it's probably got a really limited release. Yeah. Pretty uh, sure. However, it does look like a pretty visually pleasing film. I'm excited to see it. Uh, what do you think? Um, I'm going to give it like a 80. Um, I'll say like 76. Just kind of throwing that out there. Any idea? Do you want to predict Chicken with Plums? 78. 78. Cut it right in the middle. There you go. I think that does it. Uh, for all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that greatly. And a big thank you to Adam for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Adam. <laughs> oh, for filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Adam. <laughs> Today we're A squared. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie when we we have him watch Missing in Action starring Chuck Norris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>